We are in Job chapter 12 this Wednesday night and continuing through our series in the face of suffering. We're in a very just unique place in the book of Job now because we have heard up until this point from his three friends in regards to their accusation, their perspective as to why Job is suffering. As to why Job is suffering. We, we mentioned last week that the book of Job doesn't teach us necessarily the why in suffering, but it teaches us also the what or the how in suffering, how to suffer. Because we all will suffer, but we need to learn how to suffer. How is it that we ought to suffer as believers, as Christians, those that trust the Lord? And today we're going to see that, that really Job is desperate for hope. I don't know about you, but there's been situations in my life where I have been desperate for hope. And where you need some resurrecting hope. Where hope needs to resurrect in your life. Where you're desperate for it. And we've titled today's message, Though He Slay Me. Though He Slay Me. Because here, Job is going to say this, and he's going to put all his hope now, as he's searching for hope, he's going to put his hope and his trust, and he's learned to depend on God here in the next three chapters. And as we ended in chapter 13, we saw that his friend Zophar was urging Job to repent, so that as he repented, now the discipline of God would be raised from his life. Now we learn that, does God discipline when we are being disobedient, yes, that is true. That is truth. But does that apply in this context? No, because Job was a man of integrity. Which goes to tell us that as we are living a life of integrity, as we are maintaining our integrity, God will allow us to go to series and seasons of suffering now as we are learning patience and as we are enduring at the same time. Do you see here that, that through suffering you're learning to endure? Really, there really is no other way to learn to endure but with time and with pain. That's it. You want to learn how to endure, you're going to learn with time and with pain. You're going to learn to trust in the hand of God in that moment. And to know that His hands are in control. And you really find three things in the hands of God. And I pray that you remember these because these are the three things that are really going to keep you while you're suffering. Number one, you find providence in the hands of God while you're suffering. You find that He provides. You find that He is there. Providence in the hands of God while you're suffering. You also then find protection in the hands of God while you're suffering. God's hand of protection was still in the life of Job or on the life of Job even when he was suffering. You find providence and then you find protection, but also while you're suffering, there's one thing that you must remind yourself that you also understand and know and realize and get to me the power of God in the hand of God through suffering. So what is it that we know from the hand of God through suffering? We learn His providence. You learn His protection and you learn His power now. And therefore, you put your confidence... Not in your circumstance, you put your confidence in the hands of God. Now, what did Job do? How did he put his confidence in the hands of God? He endured. He maintained his integrity at the same time. See, it's not only good enough to endure, will you maintain your integrity at the same time? 
At the same time, will you remain blameless? Well, I, I have endured, but in the process, I, I didn't remain blameless. That's not true endurance. True endurance happens when in the process of you waiting, you are still blameless. That's what it means to endure. That as you are enduring, you are blameless now from putting your confidence in something else other than God. And I pray that you don't look for anything, any overnight success or overnight victory when it comes to suffering, that you learn to wait in the trial. Wait. Something that we all dislike doing, waiting. But in the trial, as you wait, you learn that God's going to sustain you and God's going to support you. You have to learn to wait in trial. You can't be so emotional. People, we get so emotional when it comes to trial in the middle of the storm. Job doesn't stop trusting God. He trusts God and he learns to wait for all these chapters. Do you know what it means to wait? Because when you're emotional, you're not going to wait and you're going to base your entire relationship with God on your feelings. And I pray that you don't base your relationship with God on, on how you feel. There are people that are all hyped that one season, they love the Lord. Another season, they're, they're discouraged and upset and frustrated and hurt for whatever reason. Then another season, they're all hyped up. They go from, from these extremes because their entire relationship is based off of feelings. But based off of hype, based off of experience. You think experience is going to keep you when you're going through the suffering? Experience is not going to keep you at all. Hype is not going to keep you. Emotion is not going to keep you. What you know about who God is and His Word, that's what's going to keep you. That's what's going to keep you. Not your hype, not your emotions, not your friends. You learn right here, look at His friends. Wiser, older, supposedly. They didn't keep Job at that time. Because they were lacking discernment. They're lacking discernment. You know what discernment is? It's the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Knowing to tell that difference on that is discernment. You know what? I, I know that this maybe looks appealing, but discernment means knowing how to make the judgment between what the Lord is calling me to do, between what He is calling me to do, and what I feel I want to do. Discernment. Do you have it? Do you have it? Do you have discernment? Can you tell? Can you tell that what you're doing maybe is off? You know what the, the worst part in our life is when you can't even tell that what you're doing is off <laughs> because your emotions are leading you. Now let's go to Job chapter 12 and, and we have to pray before we go in this today because if we're going to see some, some pretty amazing things in this message titled, Though He Slay Me. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord for your hand. Your hand that through trials will provide that through trials will protect and that through trials we will understand your power we pray for this church Lord. we pray for tonight we pray for your providence we pray for the offering tonight lord that you would just continue to provide for the needs of this church that you would bless the cheerful giver god that you would stretch every single one of the giving lord for tonight as well god we we lift that to you god knowing that lord it all belongs to you Teach us, Lord, what it means to know you. Lord, give us discernment. Let us not be those that lack it. In Jesus' name, together we said, 
Amen. Together we said. Job chapter 12. Job responds now to Zophar's accusation with a understanding or a right understanding of who God is. And he's understanding the power of God. Listen to this. Look at what he, how he opens up. He says, Then Job answered and said here, and we go to verse 2 because we're going to find out what he's saying in response to Zophar. And he answered and said, No doubt you are all people, and wisdom now will die with you. <laughs> no doubt you think you're so smart. Well, your wisdom is going to die with you, he's telling them. You think you know everything. His friends thought they knew everything. You see, it's so foolish. The most foolish thing that you can think is that you know everything. Or that you, that you think that, that you've arrived. You haven't arrived and you don't know everything. Now look at what happens here. It says, but I have understanding as well as you. I know what you, you're saying. You think I don't know what you're talking about, Job is saying? I'm not inferior to you. you. Do you think that you're superior to me? Or that you are above me? That you're speaking down to me? Indeed, who does not know such things as these? Who doesn't know the things that you're saying that you think you're so wise? You're stating the obvious. And we talked about how dangerous it can be to state the obvious when someone is going through pain. When taking truth and applying it in the wrong context. I'm saying you guys think that you guys know it all. You guys don't. Now, here look at what happens in verse 4 through 6. I am one mocked, or I'm being laughed by his friends, who called on God and he answered him. I'm, uh, those or he or I who am calling on God and expecting an answer, I'm being laughed at by my friends. I'm being ridiculed. The just and the blameless who is ridiculed. I'm just, I'm blameless, I'm innocent, and I'm being the one that's being ridiculed here in this situation. The lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. Uh, one who doesn't need a lamp or one who is relaxed doesn't care about a lamp. He's saying he's using a metaphor here. You push now those who are stumbling now because you think you're fine. That's what he's saying. You are despising me as one who thinks he does not need a lamp because he's fine. Therefore, in that same manner, you despise me now. You, 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 you mock me because you think I am in trouble. Or you know the trouble that I'm facing. Here we go on and it says, It is made ready for those whose feet slip, or those that are stumbling, or I that I am stumbling. You're pushing me now, and you're making things worse. Did you realize that throughout here, the entire book of Job, you see his friends speaking, but they're speaking out of turn, out of context, and really making things worse. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure. He's saying, look, at it, the wicked are getting away with it. Or he, so he sees that they're at ease, but in verse 6 he says, and what God provides by his hand. Now I want you to underline that, and what God provides by his hand. So the wicked... And the robbers and those here that, that are thinking that they're prospering in their own agenda or even in their own sin, they are still under the control of God's hands. Nobody gets away from God. And that's what he was going to tell them. Nobody's going to get away from the hand of God. He's going to tell them, even the robbers that think that they're getting away, even people that think that they have their own understanding, even those that think that they're so successful and they think that they don't need God, even they are relying on the providence of the hand of God. Even God is over them. Even God is over in control of them. 
Now verse 7, it says, but now ask the beast, and look from verse 7 and 10, he's going to really now take this point to let them understand that the hand of God is in control of his situation as well. Just like the hand of God is in control of those that are not blameless, the hand of God is in control of those that are. But now ask the beast, and, each, and they will teach you. Ask the creatures and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, verse 7, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea, and it will explain to you, verse 8 and 9, who among all of these does not know, who among the creatures and nature and creation, who does not know, and this is the key here, verse 9, that the hand of the Lord has done this. You see, in your situation, you must realize this, just like creation knows, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that the birds, the creatures, everyone knows that the hand of God is in control, just like they know, you must realize, he said, who does not know that the hand of God has done this, that the God, hand of God has allowed this, that the hand of God is sustaining me through this. We must realize this. Who doesn't know? He's saying, it is the hand of God. He is trusting in the hand of God. In fact, he's going to give the power of the hand of God in these next verses and explain why the hand of God is so important. And even, in even every breath that you take right now, do you realize that if God takes care of the creatures and the birds in the air, he's taking care of every single breath that you just took right now and that he can take that breath away from you if he so chooses to do so in this very moment. Every breath that you take is in the hand of God. Every breath. Do you see how he's giving all the control to the Lord? And he's saying, I don't want any of the control. I know I don't have it. I know you don't have it. The only one that has it is the Lord. Now, look at here in verse 10. It says, in whose hands. It's all about the hand of God. We talked about this last week. In whose hands is the hand of God in the trial. In the hand of God. In whose hand is the life of every living thing. The life of every creature and every breath of all mankind. Kind. In his hands is life, and in his hands is breath. Do you realize how great God is here? How he's pointing to the, the, uh, the sovereignty of God, that God is over all. He is in control of all. He is the ruler. He is the authority of all. In him is life, and in his breath, now of all mankind. Now verse 11, it says, Does not the ear test words? Doesn't we, don't we use ears to hear words? And doesn't the mouth, don't we use it to taste food? Yes. Just like the ear discerns now a voice or listens to a sound and a mouth can distinguish or taste food. Yes, we know this just like we know that. But also, what else do we know? Wisdom is with aged men and with the length of days understanding. Yes, wisdom belongs or man's wisdom belongs to those that are with age. We know that those that have age or those uh, of age have wisdom and understanding or understanding is with those of with the old because they have experience in life however he's going to compare the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God and he's going to draw a clear line that there is a big difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God see the wisdom of God will not completely sustain you in your time of trial but the wisdom of God will. And here he's going to appeal to the wisdom of God. Notice this. 
in verse 13. With him are wisdom and strength. The New Living Translation says, verse 13, but true wisdom. Now he's saying in verse 12, human wisdom is with the age and with the experience. And in verse 13 it says, but true wisdom is with him or with him are wisdom and strength. Notice, not only does God now possess wisdom, but then he, he, he pairs this. He also possesses strength. You see that for man, he only says that man has wisdom, but he has no strength. This is interesting because he's going to use those two same words to describe the Lord, wisdom and strength. Why is it so important? We're going to find that out in two verses. That God not only has wisdom, He also has strength now. And He holds everything in His hands. He's on the throne. He's in the power in every season of our life. We know that He is in charge. We're not afraid. We can be safe and we can be secure. We can have hope. Notice this as we continue reading verse 13. He has counsel and He has understanding. When you don't have understanding, He has understanding. When you think you need a counselor, He is your counselor. And remember that, please. There's a lot of times we think that we need counsel. The best counselor is the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible tells us. When you don't understand, know that He does understand because with Him are strength and wisdom, understanding and counsel now. Verse 14, if He breaks a thing down, now notice the power that He's going to give to the Lord here in the next few, uh, few verses as He speaks now of the power of the Lord. If he breaks the thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If God does something, you think he can fight against it? Not only does he have wisdom and strength, understanding and counsel, but if he, if he stops something, no one can move that. It's been stopped by God. It cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man or if he holds a man back now, there can be no release. No one can now release him from the hand of God when God has imprisoned or held someone back. That's how much power and authority he has that no one can break uh, or build what he has broken. No one can rebuild it as well. No one can release what he is holding back. Isn't that what it says in Revelation chapter 3? What does Revelation chapter 3 says? And the angel of the Lord said it to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church, these things I say, he who is holy is true. Christ, he who is true. He who has the key of David. He who opens a door and no one shuts it. And it says also, and no one, and he who shuts one, and no one opens. Isn't it amazing how when God is in control and you're submitted to Him, you know that when He closes a door, no one's going to open that door. And then also when He opens a door, no one can close that door for you. That's why it's so amazing to trust in the Lord. Because when He opens up doors, no one's going to shut it. When God says yes, no matter what man says, it's, it doesn't matter. Because we're trusting in that God is the one that opens doors and we thank Him for the open doors and we trust that God is the one that closed them and we thank Him for the closed doors as well because His hand is behind it all. Verse 15, If we withhold the waters, they dry up. If God so chooses to withhold the waters, they will dry up. What does He go on and say? If He sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. God is in charge. He does as He pleases. With Him, here's again, paired up. With Him are strength and prudence. What does prudence mean? With God is strength and wisdom. See, not only does God have wisdom, He also has strength. 
And what's amazing about this is that, that with his strength, there is wisdom. That means that he has wisdom to know how to use the strength that he possesses. He says that he's not like man, that, that man falls short when it comes to strength, that man falls short when it comes to wisdom. Man will always fall short in the area of strength and wisdom, but God is perfect in the area, in the arena of strength and of wisdom. And we can have confidence in that. He has strength and he has wisdom. The deceiver or the deceived and the deceiver are his. Both that person that tries to take advantage and that person that is being taken advantage of are in his hands. Both those that think they're strong and those that are weak are in his hands. He leads counselors away plundered. Verse 17, those that think that they're so wise, he leads them now plundered or empty and makes fools of those that think that they're judges compared to those that are counselors and think that they're judges and they think that they have wisdom and they think that they're approved by man. He makes them look foolish. You see how we can trust the Lord? Those that think that they are so smart and approved look foolish before God, he says. He looses the bonds of kings. Those kings that think that they have so much strength, he makes them look weak. He looses the bonds of kings and he binds their waist with a bell. He holds them back if he wants to those kings that think that they have authority. And he leads princes away plundered. And those princes that think that they are rising now to authority or they're rising to power, he reduces them and he overthrows, verse 19, the mighty. Why is he saying this? Because he's saying, you know what? You don't know who God is. I know who God is, Job is saying. And God... The one true God, He doesn't care about your status. Everyone is so concerned today about status. About who knows you, about how many people know you, about if people approve you, about if they like you, because if they don't like you, then it hurts your feelings, and you're working your entire life to be liked by someone, instead of being approved by God. See, He doesn't care about your status. You think He cares about your, whether you're a king, you're weak, you're, you're, you're uh, taking advantage of someone or you're being taken advantage of one. He doesn't care about your status. He is in control of it all and He is not impressed by anyone. Didn't you know that? This is so awesome because it really gives us a, a, a... It raises awareness. It's revealing. That God is in control. He is in authority. And He is not a respecter. Listen to this. He is not a respecter now of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. In those dark moments, remember who is God. And when you know He's not a respecter of persons, that He is the one that's authority, you can fight the lies and the confusion of the world with the truth about God. What is the truth about God? Do you know the truth about God? Now, let's read verse 20 now. He deprives the trusted ones of speech, those that think that they're so trusted, he removes now or he silences their advice. He takes away their discernment. He takes away the discernment of the elders, those things, the people that think that they have the best counsel to offer. He removes that from them too. He pours content on princess, verse 21, or disgrace on those that think they have honor. 
And He disarms the mighty. He uncovers the deep things out of darkness, those things that nobody knows, that they're so mystical or mysterious things. He can uncover those things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. And those unknown things that we do not know about, He can expose them and He brings them to light. That's who God is. Verse 23, He makes the nations great and it destroys them. He can make one great, He can destroy another. He enlarges nations or He expands nations and he, then He guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. He takes away those people that think they know what they're doing or know where they're going and He makes them look foolish and lost. They grope in the dark, verse 25, without a light. He makes them look, those that think they know what they're doing and where they're going, He makes them look as if they are without light in the dark, like drunk men, right? It says here. And He makes them look like drunken men, staggering. And He makes them stagger like a drunken man. Have you seen, ever seen someone just stumbling, can't even keep their balance? See, that's how the Lord makes them look, those people that think that they know what they're doing and they know where they're going. He makes them look lost as if they are without light because that's who God is. From verses 14 all the way to verse 25, do you see that He showed that God had power over men? God had power over men or He has power over men. God has power over minds too. In what sense does He have power over men? That He can now remove that understanding. He can take away. He has the power over that person that's deceived and, and that one that is, is the deceiver. He shows the power over the wise. He makes those look foolish, those that think that they're wise. Or He shows power over rulers and princes and kings. He shows power over the eloquent, those that think that they have honor and they have the best thing to say. He shows power over that. Or power over darkness and those things that you don't know of. He brings to light and power over the nations as well. He has power over it all. What were they missing here, these men? What were they missing? They were missing the fear of the Lord. And one of the best things that you and I can have as we're going through trials is to hold on to integrity, but also hold on to the fear of God. Because the fear of God as you're going through suffering is going to keep you. The fear of God is what we need. And it's the wisest thing you can ever do, is to fear God. What, what does the Bible tell us? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to be smart, the smartest thing that you can do is have fear for God. That is the best decision of your life. The best decision of your life is that you fear God. Nothing ever will be better than that. No education, no experience, no type of accolades or admiration will ever supersede your fear for God. That is the smartest decision you can ever make. But now in, in, in chapter 13, look what he does. He's going to challenge now his friends and his critics. And look how he's saying, after giving them an understanding of God. He says this now in verse 1, Behold, my eye has seen all of this. And he says, look, I'm, I'm gonna he's going to rebuke his friends because they think that they're superior or better than him. And look what he says here in verse 1. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know here is in, verse, in chapter 13, he, he, he's saying this. What you know I also know. Here, and I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to reason with God. He says, I want to talk directly to the Lord. I want answers from God myself. 
Is that what you want today? Do you want answers from God? Do you want to talk to Him alone? Do you want to talk to Him directly? Verse 14, but you forger of lies, you are making stuff up. He's saying, you are worthless physicians. You make no advancement. You make no help as a physician or a, as a doctor. You're making things up. Oh, that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. Underline verse 5, please. That you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. What does he teach us here, Joe? That there is a lot of wisdom in silence. <laughs> Not only is there wisdom and fear of God, there's also wisdom in silence. In Proverbs 17, verse 28, what does Solomon tell us? Even a fool is counted wise. Even that person that is foolish, they count him wise. You are wise when he holds his peace or when he says nothing. When he shuts up his lips, he is considered perceptive. The problem sometimes with, with us and the reason why we become foolish is because we talk too much. We have to learn to be silent, to learn to listen. And he's telling them here in verse 5 that you would be silent and it would be your wisdom. That would be the best decision you've made so far. Now hear my reasonings, understand what I'm about to say, and heed the pleadings of my lips. Look at to what I'm, I'm saying now. Will you speak wickedly for God? You, are you going to misrepresent the Lord? You're misrepresenting Him in everything you're saying. And you talk to deceitfully, deceitfully for Him. Will you show partiality for him? Are you going to speak now in such way where he would not say that? Or will you contend for God? Are you going to now try to defend him in a dishonest way? Do you think that that's what you can do? Will it be well when he searches you out? Do you th are you not scared that when he knows you clearly, he knows that you're doing this dishonestly, does not not scare you? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? Do you think that you can, you can fool him? Because you're misrepresenting him right now? He will surely rebuke you. And if you secretly show partiality, will not his excellence make you afraid? Do you not have any fear for God in the way that you're speaking? This is exactly what Job is telling them. And it says, will your excellence not make him afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes and are proverbs of ashes. Now what are platitudes? These long words, this counsel, your case and your intelligence, your defense is worthless. I want you to know that, that our defense and our case is worthless if it's not submitted to the Lord. You see, the, this idea is that these men were, were trying to argue and defend God, but upon false lies. And they had very limited knowledge. This is exactly what they were doing. They were being unjust to Job. And they didn't really know now, and they weren't intentionally doing this, but they didn't know this, and Joe was making them realize this. Why? Because he had confidence. He had, in, in, he had now confidence not only in God, but he had confidence in his integrity. When you, you're in, you, you, you are blameless, guess what? You have nothing to be ashamed about. And Job is saying, I have nothing to be ashamed about. I am not sinful. Well, what have we learned in the past through Proverbs 28.1? The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know why he was being bold here? Why was Job being bold when he was in trial? Why was, why was he so bold when he was suffering? Yes, he was hopeless, but at the same time he was bold. Why was he bold? Why was he enduring through these moments? Because he was blameless. He had nothing to be afraid about. He had no case against him. And notice this as we continue reading here. Your defenses are defenses of clay or, or they don't really matter. They have no lasting value here. Verse 13. Look at what he's saying here. 
You don't know what you're saying, but from verse 13 and on, he has confidence in his own integrity. And he tells him this, hold your peace with me and let me speak or, or remain silent. Let me speak and, and then come on me. What may me? What may? Just let me speak and whatever happens to me, then I will face the consequences. Why do I take, and this is important here. This is application for us, verse 14 and 15. Because it says, why do I or why would I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands. This is big for us. Job says, why is it that I would put my flesh in my teeth? What that means is, why would I put myself in mortal danger? Why would I put myself in critical danger? Why would I put myself in critical danger? How would he put himself in critical danger and put my life in my hands? You know, the most dangerous thing that you can do is to put your situation in your hands. And he's saying, why would I put my life in absolute danger by taking up this situation in my own hands? Do you notice that in the last few chapters, he's been talking about the hand of God. He's saying, why would I interrupt what God wants to do by taking my situation in my own hands? The worst thing that you can do, you would put yourself in a very dangerous position, your family and your life. By putting yourself, by putting and taking your situation into your own hands. You see, the best place for his, his situation, for Job's trial, for Job's insecurity, maybe at this moment, for Job's doubt, for Job's fear, for Job's questions, for Job's why, the best place for that was not in his hands. And the best place for all of that in your life is not in your hands. The best place for all of that is in the hands of God. Why would I put myself in danger? He's saying it's a dangerous place to take my situation and put it in my hands because it's going to cost me. Have you ever tried to manipulate a situation where you're going through and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to do it with my own hands. I'm going to do it with my own strength. I'm going to get it done. And you really what you're saying is that I don't need God. And Job here is warning us that that is a very dangerous thing to do. Take matters into your own hands. Say, Lord, no, I want you to control it. I want this to be on your hands. I don't want to rush this. I don't want to push this. I don't want to pull this. I don't want to push this aside. Lord, I want you to do it. You know what he's doing here? He's changing his perspective now. And in verse 15, he says something that, that really is incredible. It, it, it's really life-changing. It's impactful for the entire book of Job. He says this. Let's read it, verse 15. He says, as he's trusting God and, and putting it in, in God's hands because it is dangerous anywhere else. Anywhere else is dangerous. It only belongs in the hands of God. Though he slay me. How many of you guys feel like you guys have been getting slayed, right? <laughs> there are times in our life, man, I feel like I'm getting slayed, right? Like, man, from one direction, from the other, I feel like I'm getting, we feel like we're getting beat up and maybe an attack here, an attack there. And, and Lord, what is it that you're doing? I know that you're in control of my life, Lord. I know your hand is in control. However, even though, although you are allowing this in my life, and the word slay me means, though he take me out. Though he take me out. To slay means to, to kill. Though he remove me now. Even though, or even so, even though, yet, listen, underline this please in your Bible, please, today. Yet I will, yet will I trust him. 
Can you say that today? Even though I'm going through this, I will trust Him. Even though the situation is not the way I wanted it to look, yet I will trust Him. Even though I'm going through these slaying moments, even so, I will trust the Lord. I will trust Him in the trial. That's exactly what Job is teaching us. That he wanted to trust the Lord in the trial. I, I will trust the Lord because I have no other hope even in this situation. He's demonstrating he has no other hope in this situation. It says, even so. I like how he says even so here. I will defend my own ways before him. How do you, how do you defend yourself before the Lord? The best way. The best way is by being blameless. You want to have a clean case before the Lord? You want to have a clean case before God? Then remain blameless before Him and seek His Son, Jesus. That you would stand righteous before the Father. Therefore, I still want to plead my place uh, before the Lord and I am trusting Him. This is the best attitude to have, yet I will trust Him. I'm going through a hard day, yet I will trust Him. I'm going through a hard season, yet I will trust Him. I'm going through a season where I feel like everything's being stripped from me, yet I will trust Him. I don't see the finances coming in, yet I will trust Him. I'm not trusting my hands because it's so dangerous to let my hands now rule. The attitude here that Job was saying that in, in, in the past crisis, in the present crisis, in the future crisis, he might not understand what God was doing. He didn't understand. He didn't know what he was feeling. He didn't understand that either. But he knew one thing, that he can trust God. Do you, can you say the same thing? Because slain times, what are they? They're really those slain times in our life or, or where faith is created. Where you don't know. You have to trust Him. You're forced to trust Him. And maybe today you're forced to trust Him. And you can say this, verse 15, yet I will trust Him. And these are times where God tests and affirms our faith. Yes, trust me. Trust me. Take your hands off of it and trust me. That's when your faith can grow, when you remove your hands. And saying, Lord, I'm just holding on to you, that's it. What did the psalmist say in Psalms 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He's trusting a God in the valley of the shadow of death. You're going through that valley of the shadow of death, yet I will trust Him. Job chapter 13, verse 15. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will trust Him. And guess what I can do also? I can learn from Job and I can remain silent. I can remain silent. I don't have to be screaming in the valley. I don't have to be complaining in the valley. I we try to get people's attention in the valley. I can remain silent and listen and wait on God. Because as he's saying this in verse 15, you know what he's saying? I'm submitting to God's plan. I will trust Him. I'm submitting to God's provision. I will trust Him. I'm submitting to God's power. I will trust Him. I'm not looking to my feelings. I'm looking to my faith. And I'm trusting God. The reason why people give up is because they become impatient and they become emotional. Therefore, they don't trust the Lord. Be careful of becoming impatient. Impatient of wanting to get to the next place. When God wants you to wait. Yet I will trust Him. Trusting has a way of really growing your faith. And He's submissive now. He's submissive. Verse 16. Yet also here it says, I will defend my own way before Him. He also shall be my salvation. This is my only salvation. This is what's going to save me when I trust Him. Nothing else is going to save me. For a hypocrite could not come before Him. One that is, is, is not blameless or is, does not have integrity can't come before Him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. Listen to my case. Understand this. 
I understand this is an example now. But he's not going to forfeit what he knows to be true in the midst of the storm. I know what is true and what is true that I can trust him. I'm not going to give up on that. I'm not just going to let in on what my friends think. I'm not just going to believe what they say, what they're just horrible and awful advice. Even if I'm the only one standing for the truth, I will. This is what Job is saying. I'm willing to stand alone for the truth. Are you willing to stand alone for the truth? Or do you need someone to stand with you? Are you willing to stand alone for the truth? Do you need someone to stand there with you? The Holy Spirit is there standing with you. Your counselor, your best friend. Look what it says here in verse 18. And see, now I have prepared my case. I know I shall be vindicated. I know I'm innocent before God. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. You know, who's the one that's going to declare me to be guilty? If, if, I, if, I, if I have to uh, hold my tongue, then I'm just going to die because I need to speak out. I need to say this. And from verse 20 to verse 28, Job is asking God now, Lord, if you see something in me, let me know. They might think they see something, but if you see something, you let me know. Let's read it, verse 20. Only two things do not do to me. Yeah, you like how he speaks here in, in the double negative? <laughs> Only two things don't do. I don't want you to do these two things. What are number one? It says here, then I will hide myself from you. I don't want you to do these two things because I want to be able to see your face. If you do these things, then I'm going to have to hide. But I don't want you to do these two things. Number one, verse 21. Number one thing that he does not want God to do to him. Withdraw your hand far from me. Look at the hand of God. Keeps, why does he keep talking about the hand of God? <laughs> I don't want you to remove your hand from me. Why was he saying that in verse 21? But because it was the hand of God that was sustaining him in the fire and in affliction. Number one thing, don't remove your hand, please, God. Do not remove your hand from me. I, I do not want your hand to be removed from me. That's what I don't want you to do. Number two thing, it says here, and let not the dread of you make me afraid, and let me never lose respect and reverence for you. Wow. Think about if you ever asked the Lord that. Lord, I just want two things. Don't move your hand away from me. Number two, let me never lose reverence for you. Let me never lose reverence for you. In the, in the, in the trial, he's saying this. So that, verse 22, then I can call and I, and then call and I will answer. Then we can have fellowship. We can communicate here. Or let me speak then and you respond to me. Let us communicate because if your hand's upon me and, and I don't lose reverence, then we can communicate now here. We can have fellowship now and continue to do, speak with one another. It says, how are my iniquities and my sins here? Make me known my transgression and my sin. That's a prayer when we think about holiness that we should always pray. Verse 23. Next to verse 23, I want you to write this. Psalms 139, Psalms 139, verse 23 and verse 24. You know what the psalmist says? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me. All of us need a, an inventory of our hearts today. Search me and know my heart. Try me. Just try anything in me, my motives, my intentions, my attitude. Know my anxieties and my worries. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. You know what he's asking here? Lord, here I am, examine me. Same thing that David asked. Here I am, examine me, Lord. Verse 24, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? He's saying, Lord, I want fellowship from you. 
Why do you frighten a leaf and uh, here driven to and fro? Why is it that me as a leaf that like the wind is driven to and fro, I'm so weak? Why is it that you would pursue me like a dry stubble? Verse 25, I'm nothing. For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. Is it my past that you're bringing things up again, Lord? Accusations from the past, he's asking. You put my feet in the stocks or you've locked me down here and watched me closely all my past or all my steps. You examine and you trace my footsteps. Now he says, you set a limit for the soles of my feet now here. I can't move anywhere away. Man decays, verse 28, like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Look, I'm just a man. And I'm wasting away like a wooden, rotten thing that is just going away. He, he, he completely felt fenced in. He completely felt hindered. However, what does he say? Yet, yet, I will trust him. And he knew God is watching me closely. Now let's read quickly chapter 14 because you know what he does here? He's asking now the Lord, is there life after this? Have you ever been in pain and you're saying, is there any more to life than this pain? You know what the reason why people are so, get so depressed in the moment we start to contemplate even things like suicide? You don't want to know why? Because in their mind, the only thing they have to look forward to is suffering. You know that you as a, as a child of God have much more to look for than to suffering? As a child of God, suffering is only temporary. As a child of God, suffering is only momentary. And the promise of eternal life that you will enjoy is much greater and outweighs the pain that you feel today. If you are living just for today, you're going to be very frustrated. You're going to be very disillusioned. You're going to be very paranoid. You're going to be very burdened. You're going to be very disappointed now. And Job here cries out in chapter 14, and he's saying, is there anything else besides this? Have you ever thought that? Is there anything else besides this? Look what he says in verse 1. Man who is born to a woman is uh, of a few days in a full of trouble. Look at life is so short, he's saying. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. That's how, how, life, how short life is. And you... And do you open your eye to such one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean one? No one. Who can make me innocent? And if I am not innocent, no one can do it. Who can control how, how short life is? No one can control how short life is. Who can control how weak life is? No one can control how weak life is, he's saying. Verse 5, since his days are determined, every day is determined in our life. The number of his month is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. No one can live one day apart from what God has allowed, he's saying here. Look away from him, take he, to look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes his day. Lord, just, just look away from me for a minute. So that I can be and rest for a while, Lord, that I do not feel this pain. For there is hope for a tree. Look what he says. There's hope for a tree. A tree has hope. If he's cut down, it, it will sprout up again. There is hope for a tree that, it is, that its tender roots shall not cease because it has roots. That's a living hope. The roots are living. The tree has hope. Look at it says, though its roots may grow old on the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet the scent of the water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. It can still grow. That's a living hope. That tree has a living hope because of the roots. But if a man dies, verse 10, and it's laid away, indeed, his, he breathes his last. And where is he after that? 
This is the oldest book of the Bible. Do you see how Job doesn't know about the resurrection? However, he's crying out, is there anything after this? Is there an afterlife? Well, what's the point, he's saying? At least a tree has hope. It says, he's saying here now, from the sea and the river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down, verse 12, and does not rise till heavens are no more. They will not awake, nor will he be aroused from their sleep. Verse 12, he's saying, there is no hope yet. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave temporarily, Lord, just put me aside, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me, Lord, just put me aside, and then later on, Lord, take me away from there so I can rest from this pain. If a man dies, shall he live again? He's asking these powerful, deep questions. These are some deep questions here. Am I going to live again if someone dies? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. What change comes to one that has no hope in eternal life. No change. In fact, for those that are living for today, this is their best life. That's why people say, I'm living my best life. I'm saying, I feel sorry for you. Because this is as best as it's going to get. <laughs> but for you as a Christian, know this. It's going to get much better. Because we're going to be in the presence of God. This is not it. This is not your best life. Your best life is with the Lord in eternal life. Understand that. Right? And as we suffer today, we can live with an eternal perspective that one day we will be before the Lord. And I don't have to just look forward to suffering. I have much more things to look forward to. Have you ever felt like, man, my calendar is so empty, I have nothing to look forward to? <laughs> as a Christian, your calendar is so full because you, have look, you can look forward to the promises of God every single day when you're in the Word of God. The reason why people get so discouraged and depressed is because they have nothing to look forward to. When you fill your calendar up with these pages of the Word of God, you have something to look forward every single day. There's a promise of God for every trial that you're facing. Let's go to here, verse 15. You shall call and I will answer you, and you shall desire the work of your hands. If there's hope, Lord, then you would call and I would answer. But is there hope? Is there hope for the hopeless? For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sins. Lord, don't look at my sins any longer. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquities. I want you to underline that verse. Because he's saying, if there's hope, you know what you can do, Lord? You can put all my transgressions, put them in a bag, and they're not going to ever be looked at again. And it says, and you cover up my sins. Oh, what a beautiful image. The guy takes all your sins, he puts them in a bag, and no one ever looks at them again. And He covers all your iniquities. This is the work of Christ when it comes to your past. Oh, my past is haunting me. I can't grow spiritually today because of my past. Who, the Lord has taken that past and He sealed it away. He doesn't remember it anymore. You're a new creation. Don't blame your present relationship with God with your past in the world any longer. Look as we go now, it says, But as a mountain falls and crumbles away, and the root is moved from its place, as the water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil of the earth, you destroy hope of a man, just like the, the mountains crush down, and the, 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 the waters roar. There is no hope for man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he does not perceive it. Even his children don't even know how to honor he doesn't know what is, becomes of his family. Because there's no hope for this man. But his flesh will be his pain over it. 
and his soul will mourn over it. He will suffer life, and his life will be full of trouble. You see how this is so impactful for us when it comes to hope? Because when you say that there is no hope or you, to your situation, and when you say that person is hopeless, you look at you, you, that person, man, my husband, hopeless. <laughs> Wife, hopeless. That job, that boss, hopeless. You know what you're doing when you do that? You're slamming the door in the face of God. In the Lord, there is so much hope. And we have to understand that dead hope, yes, dead hope fades away because it has no roots. That's what dead hope does. It fades away because it has, no, it has nothing to sustain it. That's what dead hope does. But, but notice this, but living hope, living hope, what does living hope do? It gets better because it's rooted in the living Christ and it's rooted in the living word. Do you know that this is where your, your hope gets, you get your hope from? It's living hope because it's rooted in the living Christ. It's rooted in the living word of God. I have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. And I can have assurance in the resurrection. You can have assurance in the resurrection that one day my suffering is not forever. One day I'm going to be with the Lord. And this is a strong motivation. This is a strong motivation that keeps you going while you're suffering. This motivates me. That keeps me going through the suffering. Write down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. What does it say? The sting of death is sin. Yes, sin only gives me death. But if death now, or if sin no longer has a sting, you think I'm scared of it? What can you do to me, death? What can you do to me now, sin? The sting is gone. The stinger is missing. Have you ever seen a bee with no sting? You think you're scared of it? You're just looking at it, missing right? A bee has no stinger. You can't do nothing to me. Same thing now. Sin no longer has power over you, so you're not scared of death. <laughs> what is sin going to do to you now? If you're forgiven in Jesus Christ, no longer does it have power or of death over you. He says, but thanks be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 and 59, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore my beloved, be steadfast. Today, be steadfast in suffering. Steadfast means I ain't going anywhere. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When I read this verse, the Lord told me, Art, understand this. There is some suffering in your life that's going to happen that you're going to have to serve through that suffering. A lot of times I hear people saying, I can't serve because of the suffering. There are some suffering that you're going to have to serve through in your life. Serve the Lord through the suffering. And when you're serving the Lord through suffering, those are the most sweetest times because you're saying, I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. I'm abounding in the work of the Lord because I know this season is not in vain. I know this moment is not empty. I know this season is not useless. Lord, you have a plan. And though you slay me, I will trust you. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's so powerful. It's so strong, Lord. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to do a work. That you would give us a living hope. Remind us of our living. Our hope is not dead. Our hope is living. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask for some of us here that, that maybe are struggling. That maybe are struggling with this, this season in their lives, Lord. Lord. 